Hi, this is Rich Crosby from Grace City Church. We're in a series in Mark's Gospel called Jesus, Con or King. And in our sermon from last Sunday, we missed the first couple minutes of the recording where I was reading the verses from Mark chapter 12. So I'm going to read those now, and then the recording will pick up from Sunday morning. So here we go. This is Mark chapter 12, and it's verses 13 through to the end of 17. This is what it says. And they sent to him, that's Jesus, some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. For some silly reason, I decided to make the transition halfway through 10th grade. So I went from a school of 120 to a school of over 3,000 students. And that was the biggest high school, as I said, in the British Commonwealth at that Time And I remember while I was there, while I was in this high school, I think I was in 12th grade, and I had the high privilege of meeting the grade 12 class president. His name was Ryan, sorry, his name was President Ryan, kiss the ring, don't forget Rich, kiss the ring. His name was President Ryan, and he was a man of authority. He was, he was a man of popularity. He, he called the shots in 12th grade at Fredericton High School, we're talking about like a thousand people. I mean, that's it's like a small country, isn't it? This guy was a powerful, powerful man. And I remember having a conversation with President Ryan one day, and he asked me about, you know, what I got up to in my spare time. Very, very political. You know, he was very good. He was very sharp that way, that Ryan. And I remember him asking me what I did, in, you know, in my spare time. And I told him about the church that I went to, and I was learning how to play the drums, and I was in a worship band, and all this stuff. He said, oh, so you're a Christian. I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. He said, Rich. Yes, President Ryan. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this. Okay. Rich, can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? <gasps> Crisis of faith. Can God make a rock so big that he can't? Well, well President Ryan, I, 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 I don't know, sir. I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. It really threw me, this question. Can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? Now, at that time, I didn't know to think that God is not limited by the limitations of the English language, that God can't be trapped in a paradox. But Ryan's question trapped me. I felt trapped. I felt like there was no way that I could answer this question where I could get out of it in in a way that would be true to my faith. I I don't know. I don't know. I I felt trapped in the question. Have you ever felt trapped in a question? Those of you that are Christians here this morning, I know that there would be many in the room here this morning that are also just exploring Christianity. You've just been invited this morning. We love that you're here as well. For those of you that are Christians that have said, yeah, I've got a relationship with Jesus. Have you ever been at work or at university and someone, maybe a neighbor, has asked you a question and it's kind of felt like you've been put into a corner? You feel a little bit trapped. Man, how do I, how do I answer this? And you feel a bit of a weight on your shoulders, don't you? Like, oh, man, if I... If I get the answer to this wrong, if I don't get, maybe, maybe this person is going to miss their opportunity you know, to meet Jesus. We can really feel that. That's never ours to feel. It never depends on us in the first place. God is much greater than that. But maybe you, like me, have felt trapped in a question sometimes. Well, good news, because the Jesus that we worship, there was an attempt to trap him in a question. 
And that's where we pick up in Mark chapter 12. We read that the Pharisees, they're part of the religious kind of ruling class, and another group called the Herodians, they come to Jesus in an effort to trap Jesus in a question. Now, before we go on and even look at the questions, actually two questions that they ask of him, we should be a little bit surprised that we're even reading in Mark's gospel that the Pharisees and the Herodians were even going to Jesus together on something. That should surprise us. Now, I know you're all sitting there thinking, yeah, that really does surprise me. Let me explain that to you a little bit, all right? The reason that that should surprise you is because they were two groups that did not like each other. The Herodians were loyal to Herod. Herod was a puppet king put in place in that region by the Roman Empire, kind of as a, a way for the Roman Empire to say to the Jewish people, look, we'll, look, we'll, we'll, give, you, we'll, we'll give you your own ruler, but really... Herod is our ruler. And Herod's very presence there, his, his, his authority, was a clear indication to the Jewish people that they were under Roman oppression. Any time they would have considered him or seen him or anything of this sort, they would have known, yeah, we're being oppressed by the Romans. And then you have the Pharisees. They're the other group. They're the ones that are about uh, you know, keeping the Jewish culture pure, and they're the, they're, they're the ones who are the instructors. They're the ones that are making sure that the law is taught properly, and they're the ones that are ruling over things and all this sort of stuff. They're not two groups that would normally hang out together. They're not going to each other's kids' birthday parties or going and, and, and kind of catching up on what's going on in sports or anything like that. They're not hanging out together. They're not friendly with each other. But what they hated even more than each other was Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus is there now, and he's in Jerusalem. So these two groups that did not like each other in the first place find that they can actually pool their resources together. So they come to Jesus together to try to tra- trap Jesus in a question. And they come, and before they get to their question, they, they pay Jesus a little bit of lip service, don't they? We read this in Mark chapter 12, verse 14. This is, this is what they say. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true, and you don't care about anyone's opinion. You're not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. That sounds really nice, doesn't it? That sounds really nice. Teacher, we know that you're true. Don't care about anyone's opinion. You're not swayed by, but you truly teach the way of God. I mean, the disciples gathered around. They must have been listening to this, going, "What? You guys don't think that? Like, read the first twelve chapters of Mark. Read in the other books in the Gospels and through Scripture. These these are not people that believed this. They were out to get Jesus." But they come and they want to trap him in a question, but first they try to butter him up a bit. They, they try to heap empty praise on top of him. It's almost like there's a bit of mockery kind of in their voice as, as they're doing it. They're, they're, they're giddy about this trap that they're trying to set for him. They're, they're almost like little children thinking, oh, we're, <laughs> we're going to get him. We're going to get him good. It's almost like they're celebrating it before When they finally get to their questions, this is what they say. Firstly, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Those are tricky questions. Those are loaded questions. See, if Jesus says that it isn't lawful, then that's a clear stand against the Roman Empire that required these taxes. 
Caesar, who required these taxes. And there was a word for people who defied the Roman Empire, and that word was dead. And that's exactly what the Pharisees and the Rhodians wanted to happen to Jesus. So if Jesus says, no, don't pay taxes to them, well, they're going to go and tell the other authorities, and you can see what way that's going to end. But on the other side of it, if he says that they should be paid, then is that not a denial of loyalty to God? To the kingdom of God. So what way can Jesus answer this where he's seen as being wise or he's seen as saying the right thing? Surely they've really got him trapped there. They're essentially saying to Jesus, Jesus, two kingdoms, two kingdoms, Caesars and God's. Which one will you pick? Which one? You can only pick one. Which one will you pick? So what's Jesus going to do? And in Jesus' response... We see three things happening. Jesus' response is, is quite brief. It's quite brief, but we see three things happening. The first one is this. We see Jesus' rejection of their lip service. He can't be tricked. He sees right through it. Jesus' rejection of their lip service. The second thing is Jesus' knowledge of the wider culture. That includes his own Jewish culture, but also the wider culture and the, the, the effect of the Roman Empire on that Jewish culture. You'll, I'll get to why that's important. And the third thing is Jesus' commitment to his call and also to God's kingdom. So let's look at these things together. Firstly, Jesus' rejection of their lip service. Jesus first asks, he says, why put me to the test? First words out of Jesus' mouth in response. Why put me to the test? He sees right through it. He sees right through their lip service. He sees right through the empty praise that they're trying to heap on to Jesus. Jesus sees right through it. You know what? Jesus saw right through it then. And friends, he still sees right through it now. If you're in this room and you've been a Christian for any, you know, any significant length of time and have been immersed in Christian culture, you know that quite often Christian culture in the West is pretty good at lip service. We can be really good at trying to say the right things or trying to sound a certain way. I don't know if you've been with folks sometimes when they, you know, if you gather and folks pray and they kind of, get up and they throw in a few these, thys, thous, and those, and it's like they're writing like a Shakespearean sonnet more than they are kind of praying to their heavenly Father in this effort to sound very holy, in this effort to sound very pious. You know what? If there's a heart there that is not warm towards Jesus, Jesus sees right through it. Jesus is far more interested in your heart than he is your lips. It's very easy for us just to heap empty praise onto people. It's even easy for us to heap empty praise onto God when it's convenient for us, like it was in this case. Jesus sees right through it. Why put me to the test? Secondly, Jesus, as a Jewish man, shows that he's aware of the surrounding culture, including how his own Jewish culture interacts with it. Jesus asks them to get him a coin, to get him a, a denarius. He says, he says, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. Now, a denarius was a, was a coin that was in the Roman Empire. Its estimated value, its estimated worth was said to be equivalent to roughly a day's wages. All right, So this isn't like a loonie that you're just going to spend at Tim Hortons or something like that. I spend loonies at Tim Hortons because I only buy Timbits, if you're wondering what I buy there. But anyway, that's a whole different sermon and, and other conversations in itself. But this denarius was a day's wage, and I would love to spend a day's wage on Timbits while I'm on this thought right now. But anyway, they bring him this coin, and it's a denarius, and it's worth quite a bit. 
Jesus then asks a couple questions. He says this. He says, whose likeness and inscription is this? Whose likeness and inscription is this? Now, before Jesus even gets to that question, Jesus has proved that those that are coming to him, particularly in this case the Pharisees, they're already part of the Roman order. They go and they get him this coin. And they're trying to accuse Jesus of, they're trying to trap him, getting him into this place where Jesus is going to essentially say, no, don't have nothing to do with that. Have nothing to do with that order. Have nothing to do with that empire. That's what they kind of want Jesus to say. And Jesus already, even before he's said anything else, even by having them get a coin in the first place, is showing that they're part of that order themselves. It's hypocritical. Absolutely hypocritical on their part. And Jesus then asks the question. He says, whose likeness and inscription is this? There would have been an inscription on that coin that would have said, Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. It's a bold claim, isn't it? Son of the divine Augustus. It's a claim to be God, to be God-like. Two kingdoms, two kingdoms right there. The kingdom of God and sending his son, Jesus Christ, and the Roman kingdom with, with divine claims. That's what would have been inscribed on that coin. Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Said to him, Caesar's. Jesus knew the culture that he was in. He knew how loaded of an image that was, of Caesar's image on that coin and that inscription under it. How did Jesus know that? It might be easy for us just to think, well, he was the son of God. He knew everything. Well, yes, in one hand that is true, but as Christians we also believe in something called the duality of Christ, that he was 100% God and 100% man. It's a mystery to it. Hard for us to wrap our minds around. But we know only one thing of Jesus between the ages of 12 and when he was 30 and started his ministry, and we find it in Luke. There's one verse, and it says this, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. What does that mean? That means that Jesus learned. Before Jesus started his ministry, what was he doing for those early 30 years? What was he doing? The Son of God, what was he doing? He was learning. He was learning. He was being taught. He was learning the culture around him. Jesus is the greatest missionary that has ever existed. And great missionaries know that you don't go in to a country, to a culture, and start by preaching. You go in and start by listening. And friends, those of you that call Grace City Church home, we need to do that in our city. We need to be doing that here in Ottawa. I know there are folks in the church And I'm one of them who have ideas about different things that we can be doing in our city, different ways that we can be helping out. And we're starting to take small steps in that. As a church, we're we're like a year and a half old. This thing's just getting going. We are very much still in a listening phase, though. Does that make sense? We very much still want to be here in the city, listening to our city, getting to know the culture around us. It's part of why we've moved here to the Shaw Center, I should say. You know, we had an option when we outgrew the last venue over on Elgin a few weeks ago to move a bit further out of the city. It would have caught, cost a lot less money. We probably would have got a bit of a bigger space, maybe a little bit more flexibility. The Shaw Center have been phenomenal to us, but this is a world-class venue that comes at a world-class cost. <laughs> this is sacrificial. And I think it's been worth every penny, but it's sacrificial. This has required a lot more faith, but this is part of why we feel this is important. Because as a church, friends, we're very much still students of our city, We've got a great message that we want to be preaching to Ottawa. 
And we're doing that. We're taking steps in that. But we want the church to grow. We want to be learning our culture as we do it so that when we go out into the city in, in multiple ministries or programs or whatever that might look like, whenever that day comes, we've earned the hearing because we're able to speak the language of the city. Jesus understood that. Jesus spent the first many years of his life doing that so that when Jesus is in this moment, he understands his own culture, he understands the surrounding culture around him, and he's able to uh, expose hypocrisy within it because he understands the age in which he lives. Thirdly, when Jesus gives his short answer, he shows his commitment to his call, but also his commitment to his Father's kingdom, his commitment to God's kingdom. Jesus summed up his calling like this. He says it earlier in Mark's gospel. He says, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost and to give his life as a ransom for many. That was a call on Jesus' life, to seek and to save the lost and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that was going to come in fullness only a few days later after what we're reading here in Mark chapter 12. That was the call on Jesus to seek and save the lost and to give his life as a ransom for many. And here's the mystery of the good news of Jesus revealed. That many, to give his life as a ransom for many, is not just for the Jewish people. It's not just for the people who throughout the ages have identified themselves as being part of the people of God. You might be here this morning and you might not be Jewish. Well, good news for you. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is for you as well, for Jew and Gentile alike. That's good news for us this morning. That means for people from any background, any cultural background, any walk, any socioeconomic status, whatever it might be, the good news of Jesus is for you as well, and it is for me. Now, when Jesus does get to his answer, when he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. What he's highlighting here is that it is possible to be within an earthly kingdom, in that case, in Caesar's kingdom, and still exist for the good of that kingdom, but do it in a way that is still faithful to God's kingdom. We don't have to choose just one or the other. It's a matter of priorities. It's God's kingdom first, and then the kingdom of the culture that we've been placed in second, and existing for the good of it. Now, we're here in Ottawa. We're in a very political town, aren't we? Uh, Just this week, there's been a political conference uh, that's been happening uh, here in the very same building. Many people in this room work in politics. But we make it a point to say here as a church that we are not a conservative church. We are not a liberal church. We are not a fill-in-the-blank-with-any-other-party church. Grace City Church exists to help who? People. (laughs) To help people follow Jesus. What are the two other things? To raise leaders and to start churches. And we want to do it with conservatives. We want to do it with liberals. We want to do it with people that are NDP, that are green, with any other political party, any other sort of affiliation. And we want to pray for all leaders who are in power. Friends, I want to make that really clear. Since moving back to Canada a while ago, I've I've been frustrated. Um, I've been frustrated with this sense of Oh, you're Christian, so you must bleed blue. Well, you know what? In some things I do. In other things I don't. And I'm okay with that. Because my first allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And I think that sin affects every area of life. And it's not limited to any one particular party. 
or any one particular time. I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it. No matter what your affiliation, employment, whatever it is, you're just so welcome here, and the gospel is for you. No party branding on it, praise God. <laughs> Let me ask you this. When you're in, you know, Jesus here is talking about taxes. We're getting close to tax time, aren't we? Oh, we all love a good sermon about tax. I hope Rich will preach about tax today. I just, I would love that. But I imagine when you're filling out your taxes, people tend to not in that moment, I don't think, fume about whatever party is in government. It tends to happen when you're in conversations, maybe at work, you know, or over a drink or with your neighbors or something like that. You know, that, that's when these sorts of conversations can come up. But let me ask you this. When, when, when you do that, when we as a church do that here in Ottawa, remember, we're talking about two kingdoms here, right? That's, that's, I'm, I, want it, I want this to be seen in that light. When we do that, when we have those conversations here in Ottawa, What's, what's, what's the posture of our heart towards the people that we're talking about? What I mean by that is, what, what, what's our heart's attitude towards them? I don't mean towards their policies. Because if you want to talk about some pretty horrific policies, you could look at the Roman Empire. We'll do it another time, maybe. But if you've studied Roman history, you know there were some policies that we would struggle with a little bit. Okay? I won't reel off examples this morning because you won't want to have your lunch. There's some pretty horrific ones. I'm not talking about policies. What's your heart's attitude towards the people, towards the men and the women in leadership and in authority, men and women made in the image of God? Our heart attitude should be that we are for them, and we want good for them. God wants good for them. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, just as much for them as he did for you. Friends, church, Grace City Church, those of you that call this church home, guys, we, mu- we must get this. We must get this. Because as soon as we get pigeonholed in any particular political affiliation, oh man, something, something tragic will have happened. We are for people made in the image of God. It doesn't mean that we agree or disagree on a, you know, every policy. Look, I, I don't deny that. Of course there are things that I would disagree with with whatever party is in power. That, I, I, I'm not trying to ignore that fact. What's our heart attitude? Is it that we want good for them? Is it that we're praying for them? You know what? This book, the Bible, encourages us to pray for them. In fact, it commands it that we pray for them, that we lift them up, people in positions of authority over us. So how is it that Jesus is able to say, give to Caesar, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God's, to give to God what is God's. How is it that we are able to do this? How is it that we're able to occupy space in these two separate kingdoms? Is it truly as the question has been asked, which one will you choose? Is it one or the other? Well, fortunately, we don't have to be placed in that false dichotomy. We can be part of the kingdom of God. For those of you that would say you're Christian, you know that you're son or your daughter of God. You're part of God's kingdom and can still exist in this earthly kingdom and exist for the good of both. But keeping God's kingdom first and seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. So that's why Jesus, when he comes to say, give to God what is God, there's a little bit of a a trick answer in there. We've seen trick questions already in this. There's a little bit of a trick answer. Let me ask you this. When Jesus says, give to God what is God's, what belongs to God? Trick question. What belongs to God? Everything. Psalm 42, the earth is the Lord's 
and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. What belongs to God? Everything belongs to God. My upbringing, I was uh, taught a lot about something called tithe. And uh, tithe is a word that Christians tend to use to refer back to Old Testament giving. If you read in the earlier pages of this book, you'll read about people that gave 10% of the, uh, of the, the fruit and the labors of their land. They would give it to God. And there are many today, and I was this type for quite a long time, that thought, well, that's what I should give. I should give 10%. And there would be times, I remember doing this, there would be times I remember getting a calculator out and finding out exactly what 10% was in order to give that to God. And, uh... <laughs> oh, I can't wait to check my email this week. Anyway, um... There's just no gospel in that. There's <laughs> just no grace in that, guys. When God gave you Jesus, he didn't give you 10% of his son. The God who owns everything, who owns everything, all belongs to him. In order to win you, in order to show you his love, he could have, I mean, what could he have, he could have given you the resources of the planets, he could have given you the resources of the lands, of, of, of cattle, of, of, of things if you added it all up was worth loads of money. We read about examples of that kind of in the Old Testament, lands being given and oxen and sheep. We hear that it seems a bit funny. It's essentially giving money in that God could have showered you with cash. He could have done it. What did God, in his unending love, choose to give you in fullness? He gave you his son. He gave you his son. Why in the world do we get calculators out? Why do we do it? God, thank you. In gratitude for giving your son, here's 10% back. No. No. Second Corinthians Chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, Paul says this. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What's, what's the New Testament? What's the new law for giving? What does it say? Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Oh, man, that is liberating. That is so liberating. Friends, do you understand the liberation of the gospel? Do you understand the liberation of grace? You don't have to get a calculator out and figure out what 10% is. In fact, people that do that, they're actually missing the fact that there were so many other types of offerings that were given in the Old Testament that many scholars estimate it to be somewhere between 20 and 30% that was actually given. If you're trying to cling to Old Testament law as the only way, well, pay up. you got another 20% to go. But grace is liberating. Jesus comes and he pays it in full. He pays it in full with his life. He goes to the cross in our place. He pays the price for us. So let me say something really controversial here. You know what that means in terms of your salvation? In terms, I'm sorry, I know I'm yelling a bit. <laughs> in terms, I'm getting fired up. It's, yeah, I'm sorry. All right. You know what that means in terms of your salvation? Because Jesus paid it in full. In terms of your salvation, if you're here and you're a Christian, you don't even have to give. Some of the directors of the church who run the finances are going, whoa, 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 Rich, hang on, hang on. 
You know what? Gospel of grace means that you don't even have to give because you can't buy your way in. Jesus has paid it for you in full. In full. There are some people sitting in this room this morning that if there's one line in this sermon that you need to hear, it's that one. It's that one. Jesus has paid the price for your salvation in full. He has done it. And no amount of giving, no amount of good works, no amount of church going, no amount of upstanding kind of moral righteous behavior is going to earn your way there. Jesus has paid it in full for you by going to the cross in your place. And that frees us to be a generous people because we know that we've received everything that we need in Christ And it means that in light of the gospel, in light of what Jesus has done for us, we look at everything that we have and we go, it all belongs to God anyway. It all belongs to God anyway. It's his. So if there's anything that he wants us to use this for, for his glory, the answer is yes. The answer is not 10%. It's all of it if he wants us to use it for him. Church, I want to encourage us as we go into this year. I'm not... The text that went out this week, I know I mentioned money in the text because it's money that's mentioned in Mark 12. But what we're speaking about this morning is not just about money. It's about everything. We're such a qualified city. We love our titles. You know, we love our universities. That's all. That's good. Those aren't bad things. But you know what? Even the diploma that's hanging up on your wall, it's God's. You know the privilege that you have that you've been able to go one university, let alone two or three, for some of you, it's grace. Oh, it's because I'm pretty clever. I worked really hard in high school and got on. No, it's grace. It's grace. It belongs to God. Your car belongs to God. Your condo belongs to God. Your bank balance belongs to God. Your clothes belong to God. It all belongs to God. Church, let's use it for His glory. Some of you are pursuing other gods with these things. You see your bank balance as your God. You see your fashion as your God. You see your sexuality as your God, your relationships. Friends, they're going to let you down. I'm telling you right now, I promise you, it will let you down. Come to the one true God who gave you his son, who gave you his absolute best so that you would be welcomed into his family as his son or daughter. That is what is on offer here this morning. We're going to invite the band to come and get set up. We're going to worship together. And uh, as they're getting set up, I want to invite Holly Roper to come up and share just um, briefly. We'll do this as a little bit of an interview. A bit of what this has looked like for her and her life and her husband, uh, Will. I see Will. Love you, dude. Will... um, Will's outside the back door. Will has uh, tinnitus. It's a very severe ringing in his ears. And uh, he's not able to be in the room here for us because I yell too much. So, um, just the sound in here just kind of bounces around a little bit. But I know he's back there. He's going to be listening in and uh, kind of cheering on. But Holly, good to see you. This is terrifying. <laughs> this, this or this? Uh, okay, all right, fine, fine. Um, Love having you in this church. Love having you, Will, in this church. You guys are life group leaders with us. You serve in worship, and Will's one of the directors of the church. You guys serve in so many areas. Um, Tell us about the journey from the UK, which is home, uh, to Ottawa, and, uh, you know, what that looked like uh, all those months ago. Sure. So, yeah, it's been about 18 months since we've been here now. Um, The journey, um, oh, gosh, it's a long story. I'll shorten it. So we... 
we were both in a very kind of comfortable lifestyle in the UK. Um, Will was working as what he's doing now as an estimator. He was managing a team and I was in my dream job. Um, so I was working with homeless people with substance misuse issues, which was the dream for me. So we were kind of set up in terms of our career and we could very comfortably be there for the next kind of 10, 15 years. And yeah, we were very comfortable in our financial situation. And then, and then God <laughs> spoke to us. <laughs> and uh, we were at the same church as Rich and Natalia. And um, they were announcing kind of week after week that they were going to be planting this church in Ottawa. And we felt so clearly God telling us to go. So I remember we, I turned to church, I turned to Will, sorry, after one day at church and said, hey, what do you think? And um, he said, I've been thinking the same thing. So we came to you and we said, hey, we're thinking about this. Well, do you want us? And you said, we'll take anyone. <laughs> and we uh, thought, oh. It's not quite how I remember it. It's definitely how we remember it. Okay. <laughs> and we thought, okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> So, um, yeah, we, we prayed into it, and um, God very clearly told us in many ways that it was time for us to quit our job, sell all our stuff, and move over. So tell us a little bit quickly, just a little bit more about that. You guys were, you know, you were on your career path. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what, what, did you, what did you lay down to follow this, this uh, thing that God has Everything. said to you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we um, laid down our, I guess, security and money, um, we were doing very well, well, relatively well financially for our age, and um, I was very secure in Will's salary, so we laid that down, and God just smashed that idol. <laughs> we, you know, I say, like, we sold all of our stuff, but that was costly. You know, yeah. our home that we'd built, we sold it, and we got rid of it all in the last week and a half, I think. We were sleeping on a mattress on the floor, and <laughs> it was, yeah, it was very, very costly for us. Yeah. And even quitting our jobs as well, you know, we were like, great, these are our careers, this is what we'll be doing. Um, and we gave that up. Mm-hmm. And we said, nope, <laughs> no longer. And we, it wasn't that we were coming here and like, oh, great, we're going to be doing this, this, and this. And in five weeks' time, we know what we'll be doing. We were walking into uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And we were, walking, we were draining our bank balance. There was no kind of, in three weeks' time, we're going to be getting paid again. Mm-hmm. It was just, nope. Yeah. We don't know where that's coming from. Yeah. And how did it play out? It was good. <laughs> We're still here. Yeah. We, <laughs> um, we, so I found work pretty soon after coming here. Um, not in my dream career, but that was laid down at God's feet. And I found work in retail, which was great. Will took about six months to find a job, so that was costly and painful for us. And there are months where I honestly don't know where the rent came from but it came Mm. every single month it came and you know we kind of we thought we needed these things but we didn't Mm. God gave us what we needed and that looked differently to what we thought but it it was true and it was good for us Mm. and so 18 months later within two years within one year sorry um, I was given two promotions at work, mm. so I went from being part-time sales assistant to assistant manager of the store, which yeah. is just God's grace. Yeah. Will was in a company where they love him, they want to invest in him, they're talking about his future, they gave him a really good deal on our temporary visa, and they want to um, give him more pay and more vacation when we get permanent residency. Yeah. So we've kind of, you know, it's amazing that we, we laid down these things and we said to God, 
this isn't about our career, this is about the church, yeah. and we, yeah, we just lay that down for you, and even in that, he's blessed us in our yeah. careers. And um, just in closing, a couple weeks ago, we mentioned that you guys were waiting for the, uh, to, to be drawn from the pool for uh, applying for such weird language. Anyway, for immigration, <laughs> there's a swimming pool, basically, and yeah. you have to... No, it's the pool that you get your application drawn from. Two weeks ago, we mentioned that to the church. What's happened since? So on Wednesday, we were given the invitation to apply for our permanent residency. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Holly, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. And um, I'm just going to... Sorry, Joe. I'll move out of your way here in a minute. You guys go ahead and get set up. One other quick example I want to read to you. Very different thing. Okay. This is, this is about trusting God. Okay. Prioritizing God's kingdom first, trusting him. Even while you exist in this kingdom, even while you exist in this culture, trusting God for your provision. It's not trusting your bank balance, not trusting your stuff, trusting him with everything. Let's know what God's doing in this church. This is a note that was uh, posted by one of our life group leaders um, just a few days ago. It says this, I've been suffering from chronic headaches as a result of a concussion for about two years. And over Christmas, the medication I was taking for them just stopped working. I was feeling so overwhelmed and in pain with headaches every day and really at my wit's end. Up until that point, it was something I just lived with and had never asked God to heal me. I thought I could just deal with it on my own. Then last Tuesday, I prayed. I really prayed for the first time for healing. And on Wednesday at Life Group, I asked for prayer to be healed. Since then, I haven't had a single headache. I'm basically in disbelief, but so amazed at what God can do. Romans 8.32 says this as I close. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If you're wondering this morning, whether it's with your resources, whether it's with your health, whether it's with a relationship, whatever it might be, God, can I trust you? Are you really for me? Romans 8.32 says, look at the cross. If you're wondering whether you can trust him, look at the cross. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Church, let's trust him. Let's.